0: Please turn to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 8. I'll be reading Luke chapter 8 verses 22 through 25. One day He got in a boat with His disciples and He said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed... Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And He awoke. And He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was a calm He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that He commands even winds and water? And they obey Him. Lord, we know more fully now on this side of the cross and of your further revelation of who you are. And you are the one, therefore, who can cause us to see and to hear the beautiful news of the gospel so as to embrace and go on embracing it and you and your father and our father by the spirit and I ask therefore that you work in that way in our midst this morning over this text. In your precious glorious name Jesus we pray. Amen. Being. In a storm, in water, is not a fun experience. Water can be very scary. I remember many, many years ago, stupid me ended up on a surfboard at El Porto in 8 to 10 foot waves. Why was I doing? I have no idea. All I did once I got out there is try for an hour to figure out how to get in without dying. And it was frightening. But That was nothing compared to the fear Jesus' disciples felt in this storm on the Sea of Galilee that we're reading about. And... There are a number of parallels in this story with the disciples and what happened to them with all of us believers down through the centuries. See, for these disciples, this storm was sovereignly used as a stepping stone for their further faith, for their further understanding of who this Jesus is. How many storms have you been through in your life? Maybe even right now, you're in the midst of a storm. Uh, The waves of uncertainty, of loss, grief, Pain are pounding up against the boat of your life. Or, or the waves of health gone bad. Or a relationship broken. Or marriage not the way that you dreamed it to be. Or children going wayward is just smashing your boat. And you feel like you're going to drown. In these storms of life, Luke, the doctor who's penning this for us, he intends for us to consider the question of verse 25. Who then is this Jesus that commands the wind and wave they obey Him. So let's, let's look at it. Jesus is around. There's a whole region of Galilee and then there's the Sea of Galilee and they're in a boat and Jesus says, let's go disciples. And It says disciples. Then just say apostles. So there may be a number of others. The women may have been on the boat. We don't know. But Jesus says Let's go across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, which means about five to seven miles across. And the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long. So this is not like a little teeny lake. So they're out in the middle. And this Sea of Galilee is in this big old massive hole. It is 700 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by hills and mountains and on the east side they go as high as 2,000 feet. So, it is very susceptible to storms, wind storms coming up out of nowhere as cold wind rushes down the hills and the ravines and it meets warmer air over the Sea of Galilee and you get these mini hurricanes that happen. So as we pick up in the story, there is Jesus asleep in a boat and His disciples, and all of a sudden, it's not just windy. The sails are probably breaking to pieces. It's loud. Water is... Waves are coming over into the boat. At least four of these men we know, are professional fishermen. And they've been on this lake their whole life. And they are freaked out. And their master, he's asleep. He's, he is exhausted. He's tired. And he's sleeping through it. So they're in a panic Master, Master. That's why the double, Master, Master. This is what this means in Hebrew, in the Aramaic culture as it comes over. The Master, Master means, it's not like, hey, Master, hey, check it out. It's, we're freaking out, we're panicking. We're going to die. Now, let's just picture what happened. So Jesus wakes up. Uh, uh, this is the one time, usually some of you mock me. You don't show movies. We should show the movie. What's that movie with a storm? Come on, the real good looking guy in that. The perfect storm. The perfect storm. You, should, okay, you should hear the waves and the wind and, and how loud it is. Jesus gets up and He speaks. Stop it. Or, wind! Be quiet. And immediately, like this. No wonder they're freaking out. So after Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and it's calm, he looks at his disciples and says, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. No, duh. They were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, I know we've been living with Him for a year and a half, and we got all kinds of ideas, but what are we really dealing with here? Who then is this that even commands winds and water, and they obey Him? There's our text. So let's, let's consider for the rest of our, our time what happened here on the lake and how what happened there relates very much to our lives today. Let's read the passage backwards for a moment. A lot of times when you want to read stuff, you want to see logic, you want to put things in, do that. Just read the logic backwards, okay? Okay, question from the bottom up. Who then is this that commands the winds and waves and they obey Him? Obviously, the sovereign God-man. Okay, we got that? That's who this is. Okay, work your way up. That sovereign god man is the one who was physically exhausted and was asleep. In the boat. While the people He loved, His disciples, were freaking out. See, this is the same sovereign God who said in the first place, let's go across the lake. Did Jesus blow it when He said that? Think about it. Darn it, I missed it. Never saw that storm coming. Or, or you can say, well, he, which is true. We're talking about the complexity of God becoming a man. So we're talking about one person, two natures that don't mix. And there is limitation to his human nature, okay. But Jesus always does. In his human nature, always does what the Father tells him. So, did God blow it? Look at verse 22. One day, He got into the boat with His disciples and He he didn't sin here. He didn't miss God the Father's will here. And He said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they they set out. Okay. Didn't God know that if Jesus leads them to go across to the other side of the lake, what was going to happen? The answer is obviously yes. And that's why Jesus said it. This was a divinely appointed Storm that almost killed them all. And it was divinely appointed in this text in order to grow them in their understanding of Christ. They were led into this trial by Jesus. Now, at this point, Many of us evangelicals, we just have this thing within us that just wants to go out and protect God. We want to get God off the hook. So we might say something like, okay, don't, don't, okay. Yes, God allowed them to almost die here in this storm. But doesn't mean He caused it. It's really difficult, rationally, to see the difference, or any difference, when you're referring to God, the sovereign, eternal, omnipotent, all power, omniscient, all knowledgeable. In other words, there's nothing in the future Ten zillions of years ahead of time that he does not thoroughly know, always. okay. And he's omnipotent, which means he has the innate power or ability to act and to do and to control any and everything that his will would guide him to do. Okay. To think that that God, there's a distinction between allow, because I believe in allow, but if you mean that in a say out of in cause, it doesn't seem to make sense. Especially in our text, when you see, okay, now the time, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, will speak to the elements and control them. Why lead them? into the storm, if you know you can stop it? The answer is, because I want them to see that I can stop it. See, unless God is not God, He knows exactly what is going to happen when He leads the disciples out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And God does not need our help to try to protect Him by denying His sovereignty over all things. And if you really think about it, and I know life can be horrendously painful, but is there really any comfort and thinking, well, no, God, the reason this has happened is because God, as God somehow willed that He would take Himself out of the equation, and therefore, in a sense, He could not prevent this. Is that comforting? Hmm. I just find that, in my life now, extremely difficult to understand that as comforting. Whatsoever. See, God may in our lives be using Satan, wicked human beings, hurricanes, natural elements for his higher. Eternal, loving, ultimate purposes. Like he did with Job. I just, I don't even want to read the rest. I mean, look, it's to, to even say what happened to Job in chapter 1 is hard for any of us to think about it. The pain of losing his. Kids and his stuff. And remember, at the beginning of Job, this is what's so stunning about it. In God having that story written, he has the adversary, Satan himself, come to the throne room. And Satan can't touch Job unless God allows it. And he did. Now, at the end of the chapter, and Job's not a guy in denial. Read the whole book. He feels the pain and the tension and wants answers. But this is what he does say. Then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I shall return. The Lord, Yahweh, gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the next line says, In all of this, Job was not wrong. It says it this way. In all of this, Job did not sin and charged God with wrong. This storm on the Sea of Galilee It's a microcosm of all of our lives who have become disciples of Jesus. Storms come and they hit in our lives suddenly at times out of the blue. To be faced with with crisis or calamity and trials does not mean you're in disobedience. These Disciples were led into this horrific trial precisely because they obeyed Jesus to go across the lake. Obedience at times. Just take New Testament. Obedience will lead eventually. Peter's on the boat that day. wasn't his time to die. But obedience will eventually lead Peter, when he's an older man, to a horrific martyr's death. It will lead James. James is on the boat, the son of Zebedee. It will lead him to an earlier death. See, this storm was no accident. And neither was the fact that Jesus was asleep in the boat, in the back, while His disciples were freaking out. He's a man. He's exhausted. And He's fully, in His humanity, trusting. He knows the reality that God His Father, just as He does, has the perfect welfare of the disciples. In his hand, and so Jesus can rest. That's his viewpoint. But the disciples' viewpoint, our viewpoint, most of the time, is different. We feel in our lives. Can Jesus do? God, are you awake? Don't you see how long this is going? Or Are you suffering, or are you not? Do you care about me? me? I love Jesus, but God. That's what they're doing. Don't you care, Jesus? Wake up! Let me just, real quick, let me hear some words from Jesus before this incident happened in the way Matthew lays it out. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 26, Jesus said to them, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your your body, what you will put on. Come on! Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. And they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And your heavenly Father feeds them. Disciples, are you not of more value than birds? When the Lord brings trials and we feel that we, we, He doesn't care. He's sleeping in the back of the boat on me. That's how the disciples felt. Now get it. Here's the reality for them and it's a metaphor for our lives. Here's the truth in your storm. He is in the boat. He sometimes in our lives brings us on purpose to the end of ourselves in order that we will see how dependent we really are on Him. That's what verse 23 is about. Look at it. And the wind, excuse me, and a wind storm Came down on the lake. And they were filling with water, and we're in danger. Okay, so just think about this: here. the Messiah. I mean, they're getting a lot. Of, they've been with Jesus probably at least a year and a half. That's the way we try to figure it living with Him, traveling with Him. They got the text. They're hearing the kingdom of God constantly being preached. This is the son of David. We're trying to figure out how it's all working. But they've been with Him day after day watching Him heal the blind eyes of people. The deaf ears, the crippled, paralyzed were getting up and walking. They have been there when the hard, cold rock Hard body was raised from the dead. Now a windstorm comes into their life. He's in the boat with them. And you read on in verse 24. And they went and woke Him saying, Master, Master, we are going to die. This is what Mark gives us in the same account. They said more than that. They said, "Don't you care? Okay, we've all been there, and they were there. Don't you care that we're going to die? Okay, you've got to get, you get the flow because of what, what's going to happen here. I mean, there's trying to piece this together for our understanding Jesus kingdom of God is coming. They're just seeing unbelievable. No man's ever spoken this way and no man has ever had a, a miracle and a healing ministry like this. this. This Messiahship thing, Jesus, this kingdom of God thing that, that you're instituting. Don't you get it? It's not going to happen if you don't do something. <laughs> That's what they're saying. We're all going to perish. See, the storm it was a gift to them to help reveal to them how crazy their thinking was about the Christ. And so, no wonder that Jesus not only rebuked the storm, he rebuked his disciples. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. And then He said to His disciples, Where is your faith? Storms in the life of Christians expose how we are trusting in ourselves and not in God, in Christ, and in his promises. You see, the disciples have been doing pretty good, evidently. Their lives look pretty good. They're like, man, Jesus is the, the, the apostles His right hand men in ministry. Woohoo. Until this day. When Jesus allowed a storm of storms to come and they snapped. The whole thing's going to fall apart, Jesus. This whole ministry, this whole kingdom of God thing. What are you doing? You're going to die. We're all going to die. See, God often uses storms to smash areas of our lives that are not trusting in Him, but in ourselves. He lovingly, therefore, shows us those weaknesses so that we would learn to rely more deeply on Him. Now, that's a massive statement I just made. And that, that, that's why I just feel compelled I'm going to have to turn to the Bible, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, or verses 8 and 9. I just want to read. I didn't make that kind of a statement up. This is what God, the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. Listen to him. For we, he's writing to the church in the city of Corinth, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, okay, ignorant of what? Of the, uh, okay, talk about storms, of the affliction that we, that's Paul and his missionary band, that we experienced in Asia. What I mean is this, we were so utterly burdened Beyond our strength, that we, this is how bad it got, despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, here's the flow of the text. I know that ESV starts a new sentence, and it gets it right in its meaning, so we'll read it. But that, all of that, that pain, that storm, us feeling a sentence of death and despair of life, just crushed us. He says, that was so in order to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Whether it was sickness, and and whether we do know it's people. You got people in your life? Paul had lots of people who hated his guts. And made his life miserable. And he could say, that was for the purpose that we would trust God more, not ourselves. Now, here's Paul's point. That was not these wicked people's purpose. Theirs is just to make your life miserable. It's not Satan's purpose. It's only to make your life miserable. It's not cells in the body that are going wacko. They're there just to eat the body away. But he says, over that is a purpose. And it's a good purpose to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. You see, Jesus not only appointed the storm on the Sea of Galilee for the disciples, years later, He appointed, God the Father appointed a thorn. You ever get stuck by a thorn? Paul had one that just was constant. He appointed for Paul a thorn. In his flesh. I'm going to read it. Here's Paul's account. And here's the biblical theological understanding. Of what's happening. In Paul's life. From 2 Corinthians 12. So therefore. In order to keep me. From becoming too prideful. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. Now stop. Paul. Paul. Was a sinner like you and me. And he was given a burden, I would say, almost like no other person outside Christ. And that burden of the revelations given to him would cause him, who is still a sinner, to be so susceptible to arrogance and pride that he's going to say how much God loved him. Listen. So to keep me from becoming conceited, that is, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations God's been given to me, what, what Paul? A thorn was given me in the flesh. Oh, he wants to get more clear. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. And then he says, three times, Corinthians, I pleaded with the Lord about this. Please take it away. But he said to me, no. My grace, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Because Paul, My power in you my power is made perfect or comes to maturity in weaknesses and therefore Paul concludes this way therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. We go back to our text, pick up in verse 24. And they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? Okay, I want to stop for a minute because in reading the Bible, you should. Just so slowly that you allow things to bug you, because that bugged me. See, okay, we're in this little hurricane. These waves, I don't know, they have to probably be going at least 80 miles an hour. It's ripping up, I mean, the boat's not too terribly big. It's only about 30 feet, so this is pretty dangerous stuff. Water just crashing in, and it's going to keep coming. So this thing's going to fill up. Okay? We're going to die. It seems kind of natural to panic. to wake Jesus. So what do we do? What, but Jesus says, what's the matter with you? Okay, first I want to say this. Not all fear or precaution. That's just another word for fear. It's a different type of It's a kind of fear. Precaution in life is not wrong to purchase insurance okay All right. i mean fear is a wonderful wisdom guide in life isn't it i mean sometimes you know i might not have gotten much sleep the night and sometimes well, i know i got i had to get up i was up at this time and god wow that's how would you get up at that time and you know what i answer my wife knows what the answer is. fear just fear if i what, what it would mean if i don't it, it, most people, it's amazing how they might be late for all kinds of stuff, but rarely if they like their job are they late if they're an employee. So how do they get up if they only got three hours sleep? Fear. Fear of what it means if I don't get up. Okay. How do you get out of the way of a, of a speeding car on my street of Thornburg? Uh, fear makes me move. Okay, you know, How come you're so diligent in putting away money for when you get older, if you get older? Fear of what it might mean if I don't Okay, so I mean that's okay. There's something about that in life. Okay, but Jesus rebukes Okay, what do you do? We're gonna die. What are you supposed to do? Just keep eating? Okay. So um so therefore, when I look at the text, I can say, okay, what's really going on? Why is he rebuking them? And I don't know a better answer than just to say because of the context the way they went about it, the kind of panic, the kind of fear in the context of the Lord Jesus being in the boat was excessive and it was spiritually irrational. In other words, it was wrong what they did. Not faith, in other words, because it caused them to panic. To the point where they were not thinking carefully in the light of God's promises and the one who was with them. I I don't know a better answer. That must be what he's rebuking. See, if we are so focused on our problems in life where we cannot see and trust in it, in it, not avoid it, but it's real, in it, trust God's sovereign care even in it and over our situation, then we are not walking in faith. We're not trusting Him. And that's what He means by, where's where's your faith? See, God's sovereign hand over the storms of our lives... It goes on and it reveals, as we see with the disciples, it helps reveal in your lives who the Lord Jesus really is more and more clearly. Verse 25. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one, Who then is this that He commands even the wind The water, and they obey him. See, they know they've been pretty convinced at this point. He's the son of David. He's a man. He he's real. They they we they know he gets tired every day, and he's got to go to sleep. And they know he eats food. And they have been with him. They know that where's Jesus? He went to go relieve himself. He's human. Being. They know that, but this man got up and he spoke to the mini-hurricane and it just stopped. And it hit them like nothing else has hit them yet about this man. And that question that they're asking each other, who then is this, is the crucial question of every one of our lives. That question is why Jesus brought them out into the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And that question is Luke's whole purpose in this story for all of his readers to ask themselves. Okay, we've had the privilege to... Read the Gospel of Luke from the beginning. We have a privilege that the disciples with Jesus they didn't have from this hindsight thing that we have. So, so in asking that question, we have seen all these promises in Scripture hanging around for centuries about the Son of David coming, being fulfilled in the first couple chapters of Luke when, when miraculously an angel appears to a virgin and says, Mary... You can have a baby by the Holy Spirit implanting Him in you. He is the Son of God, and you'll call His name Jesus. And then we saw Him born, and that's real humanity, not cheating. He's developing and growing. We saw that the one eternal God, without beginning, without end, that person, the second person of the Trinity, took to Himself a nature He did not have before. That. he's always been divine and he took to his person human nature and those natures are not mixed making it kind of not not really human No, very human one person two distinct natures and he grew and we saw him at age 12 this one human being unaffected by sin and the consequences of sin upon his intellect blew the PhDs of his day blew them away. And he grew and grew. And now, who is this 35-year-old man? That's the question. Hebrews 4.15, here's one answer of who he is. We do not have a high priest Who is unable to sympathize with our humanity. That's what he means here. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet, without sin. Okay, these disciples... They have seen a lot of stuff so far with Jesus' ministry right in front of them. Then he speaks to the natural elements in their fear that they're going to die, and they ceased. It must, I just. You ever been in a little car accident or even just you get bumped? It's just, you got that surreal experience where it seems like everything slows down? It must have been that kind of an experience where they're just... Then it is this. Well, we have a Bible. I'm going to read a little bit because it answers that question. This 35 or so year old man is the one written about in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became human and tabernacled, dwelt among us. Okay. That's who this man who has to go to the bathroom is. He created the universe. No wonder he's completely sovereign over wind and waves. The Apostle Paul answers the question a couple different ways Who is this man? 1 Corinthians 8:6. There is one God. The Father from Whom are all things and for Whom we exist. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through Whom all things and through Whom we exist. That's who the guy sleeping in the back of the boat is. Colossians, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, For by Christ, Jesus, Son of Mary, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things. And and in him, all molecules, all atoms, all things hold together. The writer to the Hebrews says this is who he is. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, the Jews, by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, that is, through whom also God created the world. Who is He? He is the one who is, quote, the radiance of the glory. Of God. And He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. We got the whole New Testament. Jesus will be clear in Luke exactly where He's going and why He's going there. He is going not to have anyone take His life. They can't do it. This guy commands storms. He's going to lay his life down in a bloody, horrific, torturous death in order to receive the wrath of God for everybody who would cling to him and be saved. Therefore, because their sin would have been justly punished. Therefore, there's no more punishment for those who cling to him. And he will rise from the dead. And then the book of Revelation says this is who he is one day. Chapter 4, verse 11. And these elders, they cast their crowns before the throne saying to the guy who was asleep in the back of the boat, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. Okay, go back to the boat. These guys, they do not have all their theology or Christology down pat yet at this point. Like we can have because of what has unfolded after them and through them. So, they're just a little baffled. But the answer to the question is clear. He is the God-man. The question is, have you met Him? Do you know Him? Or even more biblically, accurately, have you come to be personally known by Him? Paul says this, about the man sleeping in the boat. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law and sinful, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And he's talking to believers here. And because you are sons, that means God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts that causes this, us to cry. "Abba. Daddy, Father. Is that you? Then? you are to know that in the storms of your life down here, the Savior is sovereign over everything. Over waves. Over galaxies. Bob was I said men's group was really a blessing. And when he spoke about galaxies, it was a real blessing. Because here they are, the Sea of Galilee, but it doesn't matter because they could die. And it's overwhelming. And he spoke to those waves. Who did? Okay, let's just think. We just saw the one who created. That little sea is on this little planet. It is seemingly so insignificant in the universe, if you understand the universe we live in. You see, this little planet is just one of a number of others. It's just flying around this one star we call our sun. And this solar system is massive. Well, well until you understand that, 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 that our little star system is just one of hundreds of thousands of millions of other star systems in this one home called our galaxy, the Milky Way. That we live in. Do you know how big our l- galaxy is? It's, it's, it's something like a, a hundred thousand light years across. Okay, okay, that doesn't help. You know what that means? Okay, let's this is how this is what that means. Let's say that you can get in some little airplane or rocket ship and go shoo, and go around our earth. Okay? Shoo, seven and a half times. Okay, Think how fast that would be if you can go around a verse seven and a half times in an hour. Or how about a minute. Go around the earth seven and a half times in one minute you're moving. Okay. Now, go around the earth seven and a half times in a second. That's how fast you're going. Okay, Moving that fast. Just keep going. From one end of the galaxy to the other. That fast. And do that, not just for one second, but do that for a year. Okay? Do it for a hundred years. Just keep going. Exactly that fast. Now, okay, let's go back to when Abraham... Abraham was almost 4,000 years ago. Since Abraham's day, you started and you're still going that fast. 4,000 years. To get to one end of our galaxy to the other, you have to be going that fast for 100,000 years. And our galaxy is itsy-bitsy compared to what we know so far about the hundreds of thousands of other galaxies with hundreds of thousands of millions of stars in each of them. And what's the point? Jesus in the back of the boat is the one who created and controls and holds together all of it. And that's the logic that the heart of faith follows. See, in the storm we are to know that the Lord is the one who led you And he's in the boat. He can meet every need you will ever have down here. And for eternity. Every breath of the wind and the power of the waves and the galaxies are under his sovereign, ultimate, absolute control. This is where our faith is called to rest, Christian. Whether he rebukes the hurricane or whether your boat sinks and you drown, whether he rebuked it that day for his disciples. Or whether the ship goes down with the four little girls of Horatio Spafford in the 1800's. Who later, crossing the Atlantic, the ship's captain on his ship stopped over where that shipwreck happened. And he contemplated. And he wrote one of our greatest hymns. And in part of what we'll sing in a moment, he wrote... When sorrows like waves or sea billows roll. It is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, we have a savior who loves us. You just take some Bible. Sometimes god in His sovereign power he miraculously from the book of acts he'll miraculously break peter out of jail okay this is what's so weird about that where only weeks earlier james who was also in the boat that day the son of zebedee he didn't do that for him but james was killed John the Baptist, remember, we saw weeks back, are you the one or are you not? I'm sitting here rotting in prison. And Jesus sovereignly let him be decapitated in prison. Later on, after his resurrection, Jesus will sit down on the beach with Peter. And he said, Peter, you're going to go a long way, so, but when you get old, and Jesus explained to him what kind of horrific death he would go through in order to glorify the Lord Jesus. So, when Jesus rebukes the wind, oh, we are to rejoice. Yes! Oh, we like that. We ought to like that. But what if the boat sinks? What if the miracle doesn't come? What if the crisis Continues and lingers. Well, the answer is this from our text. What's your faith? Trust your sovereign Savior. Because this God-man came to bear your eternal condemnation. If you're a believer, He bore it. This life is but a breath. He bore it for your eternal, unending joy in the resurrection. You see, we can trust Him because of truth. There is only one ultimate, catastrophic storm. And that would be to stand before Him on Judgment Day, not having embraced Him as your Savior. Other than that, Christ knows what He's doing with the lives of us who belong to Him. No wonder Paul will write, Therefore, we know this, that God is causing all things to work together for good. That, 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 to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And then He lays out the whole structure of God's salvation. And that's what leads Him to say, who's going to ever separate you from what really matters? Cancer? The pain and the loss? children, your spouse, yourself? His answer in Romans 8 is, no, nothing shall be able to separate us from where we're going, from the love of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, with fear and with trembling over such a magnificent, glorious Savior that You are. Let Your Word so sink into our hearts and save, sanctify. Oh, would You cause these words to draw us ever so closer to You Particularly in the midst of little storms and big storms, glorify your name in us.